Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Chris Preeb, founder of Zelt, to the show. Chris, welcome. Hey, guys. Very nice to meet you. Yeah, great to have you here, Chris. So let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I started my career as an investment banker. Um, kind of randomly, actually, before that, I studied physics and just realized I didn't want to do physics. So kind of more or less randomly into investment banking. Did that for two and a half years, Merrill Lynch, which is not part of Bank of America, and then spent a few more years after that in private equity investing. So buying mostly SaaS companies, actually, fully levered, merging them with others, you know, taking out costs, doing more growth, and essentially, eventually selling them. That was at a firm called TA Associates, which is based in Boston. And then I was a, a partner at a venture firm called Global Founders Capital, which is a European Berlin headquartered VC fund. And yeah, then started sales in the awesome. summer, summer of 2021. Oh, that's great. I love, I love that background. So it'll be interesting when we get to uh, other questions in the show. But yeah, tell us what products and services does Zelt offer? Yeah, so essentially Zelt is a platform that provides companies with a single system of record for which they can manage um, HR, IT, and financial operations across their workforce. Uh, and that enables leadership teams to consolidate vendors, automate tasks, be more secure, and essentially make uh, HR and people operations more seamless and yeah, simple. Okay. And yeah, so you're, you're talking my language as a, as a CFO, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes we think about back office, right? Not glamorous or too sexy sometimes, but all the things that happen there that keep the organization running, you know, that, that you know, the regular, you know, the folks really don't see what's happening, all that compliance and regulation that the people in HR and, and CFOs have to have to manage on a monthly and weekly basis. So with this product, are you, is it, who's the champion of this project product within companies? Is it the head of people, HR, is it the CFO, is it a combination? It depends, actually, it's usually a combination and especially, so it's a module platform. So some of our customers use all of the modules and others only use one or two. Typically when they are using all of the modules, it's either more the COO, CFO type person that really pushes for a platform that consolidates different things, or it's multiple stakeholders that kind of come together as part of the sales process. And sometimes also it's gradual. So they start maybe with just HR platform. And then the maybe CF CTO or something you notices that, you know, oh, there's like security in there and we can procure all of our hardware through it. Okay, interesting. And then you kind of go through the organization. So a little bit bottom up, but never really start on the bottom. So you start maybe from the like just below C-level and then you kind of go up. And, you know, HRIT, FinOps, you know, big category here. So can you give us some features or use cases? Is, I mean, is this new you know employee onboarding is it payroll is it you know security within finance tell us a little bit more about mm -hmm. some of the features that you offer yeah so most importantly they all point back to the let's say the people record yeah so how you're getting paid depends on whether you're an employee or contractor or if you're an employee whether you're salaried right or or hourly so everything kind of just follows downstream from there and the different services that we have that's the whole point of the system. Really take it directly from the source and with the right settings and configurations and basically does it more or less automated. That means, yeah, you can go on the system, you can click a button and it calculates your payroll. And, you know, we have payment integrations as well. So you can send those payments directly to your bank. We never touch the money and you never have to go log into your bank either. Employee onboarding is very important because you have to make sure that you capture all the information that is needed 
A, from a compliance perspective, but also from a functional perspective to do all these things, right? So if you want to run payroll, you need certain information from that person. Uh, and if you want to provide them with a laptop, so we also do hardware procurement. So you can go into the store, you know, select a laptop, rent it from us. We ship it for you and it's secure. What you should get depends on maybe your department or your seniority. So really, it's, it's a people system at the core and then all the different services flow from there. So it's kind of two dimensions, the, the functional dimension to the features that's really going across those three major domains, HR, finance, which really is kind of compensation, payroll benefits, mm-hmm. and IT. And then the other dimension is the employee lifecycle. So it starts when you hire somebody, you know, making them an offer, collecting information, enrolling them in different benefits. And it ends with the person leaving the company and you have to basically unwind all these things. Yeah, and I was going to ask about that, the offboarding when an employee leaves and they've got access to all these different systems, they've got hardware, laptops, whatever. And oftentimes that seems like that's managed via spreadsheets or Word documents. And it's like, oh, we've got to turn all these things off and I've got to email IT to do this. So it helps, I assume, seamlessly offboard employees, like you said. Yeah, and that's also the experience that we had. So oftentimes when we onboard new clients, they would have some sort of HR or payroll system. Sometimes they uh, misuse the payroll system as an HR system, but like they have some form of, let's say, HR record. While on the IT side, as, as you said, it's either there's no system or it's a spreadsheet uh, or it's just like ad hoc, right? So like, okay, we have somebody who's leaving. Okay, what access do they have? I guess I just go through. I just, I just, I guess I just think of the spot, right? He's an engineer. So, well, I guess it's those five things. So I'm going to switch off those five things, but it may have been some other ones as well. And then laptops is just an afterthought usually anyway. So it's like, oh, well, okay, there's still like five laptops that are outstanding somewhere. Actually, we have no idea what serial number they are or what their history is. And oftentimes they just get totally forgotten. They just get written off um, and nobody knows whether they're encrypted or not. And, you know, that also creates security problems. Yes, I'd love to know where this idea came from around people operations, because I assume in your physics courses, you weren't talking people ops or HR. So, mm-hmm. so was this a pain point that you saw in your, in your career journey? But yeah, where did the idea come from? Yeah, ish. So I think my physics mindset kind of actually is, is still a big reason, because really what, what we're doing is really trying to put together fragments in a, in a stack. And I mean, as a software investor, it's, it's pretty clear that this fragmentation you know, it a it's obvious that it's been happening. So if you see the number of applications used in the company, like it, it just keeps growing and growing. Uh, and certainly for the last 10, 15 years, it's been growing very strongly. Uh, and this fragmentation results in, there's lots of different symptoms. So, right, you now have a lot of like digital admin. You can see studies that show that people, the average person uh, in like developed economy spends three hours a day on digital admin, right? Which is like basically moving data from A to B. And writing email is essentially also that, right? You kind of, move uh, a piece of text from one computer to another uh, or copying over files and data, you know, filling out forms and copying data from one place to another. So co- people spend a lot of time on this stuff uh, and um, it's really inefficient. Uh, and you see a lot of business models that capture on it. So if you look at robotic process automation, for example, like UiPath, I think is still one of the fastest growing software companies of all time, uh, right? That's really solving the same problem, just in a different way integration platforms solving the same problem just in a different way and these are some of the fastest most attractive software markets like in the last decade or so they're not as huge yet as like the big application softwares but they are uh, top of mind of most cios and kind of what we're doing is we're like a hybrid right so most companies don't have the resources or the time to now go and figure out how to stitch together their 15 different systems and you know it takes a lot of time and money and, and needs to be maintained 
It's just easier to just take a system and replace a system that just does all these things. And generally, people want to do more with fewer tools rather than just keep getting more and more tools. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And what what industries are you after? Anybody? Do you have a specific focus as far as customers that you're trying to land? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a blessing, but also a curse that theoretically any company in the world could be a customer, right? Or could be addressable. And I mean, the first first year, you know, it was really about like low-hanging fruit. So looking for, you know, things you can convert in the network. Obviously, we're based in, in London. So, you know, strong fintech uh, startup scene. So a lot of our early customers are venture-backed uh, startups in the fintech space. But then it started out branching out more. I would say generally... Tech companies or startups are more likely to think about a product that we that we have because I guess they have also more tech and more systems and, and security is more important for them. But we also see now that we have that you know we have customers that would have never expected, like 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 a garage, like an old timer car, basically repair shop, like for Aston Martins. I see a lot of pain in the healthcare sector because. There's a lot of hourly and time and shift-based work and connecting that with payroll is very difficult because there are all kinds of rules and you have to basically always check, you know, how many hours were worked. And then there's like certain rules like averaging if people work less or more or take holidays. So there's a lot of pain there. So I think there's a lot of more traditional industries where maybe it's not so much the, the tech on and offboarding that's really the value, there, but having a really tightly integrated HR payroll system with the time tracking, that's creating a lot of pain there. So I think mm -hmm. we're discovering more and more markets uh, over time. Yeah, seems like a lot of opportunity there. So what, what year did you found Zelt? So we launched in 2021. That was a bit of pre-story, but like I would say 2021 was when things kind of started kicking off. Okay, around 2021. And, and are you remote or do you have a headquarters location? We're headquartered in London okay. and we have a few remote team members, but generally are more office-based. Okay. And what's your current team size? We're around 15. 15. Okay. And anything you want to share around your revenue or ER range? Yes, we're, I would say, somewhere between the seed and series A. Um, okay. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, next, early next year by, by series A range. So, you know, somewhere close to a million ARR. Okay, great. And, and Pocketmail capital raises, it looks like you just raised three and a half million. And what currency was that? Was that USD, three and a half million? We raised in pounds. So that would be okay. uh, uh, transferred, converted into okay. USD. Okay, so 3.5 million pounds, and that was a seed round. And tell us about any triggers or milestones that led you to raise that seed round. I mean, it was really the first, the first cust like proper customers converting. So we had alpha customers, and like it's hard to say what the boundary between alpha and beta is, but basically, there's like the proper pre-launch product where you, there's just lots of stuff missing. So we had early customers from early on, but really it took it took quite some time to get the product in a position where you can really onboard proper companies. And when those first ones started coming in and started paying, that's when you know investors kind of saw that this was you know a real thing that it's not just some idea, some hypothetical thing, but it's really happening. And I think that gave investors the comfort to you know invest money through this. It's a very R and D heavy product. It's a very difficult, challenging product. So Especially in the early days, there were a lot of product risk. So yeah, pretty, I think the first commercial traction was really the, the trigger. Okay. So in the beginning, it sounds like a lot of product iterations, hand-holding those early, say, alpha customers. But then once you got some of the kinks worked out and it was you know easy to onboard customers and commercial customers and show that traction, then that, that led to that, that seed round then. Yeah. 
And then any, any, you know, especially with your background, with, with the PE investment background, any lessons, fundraising lessons that you'd like to share either from that investment perspective or now as a founder? Yeah, I would say, yeah, probably, I mean, your pitch deck should be in a certain format. So I think I know that from an investor perspective, when I, when I see a pitch deck, I want to know, I wouldn't know within 10 seconds whether interesting or not. So if, you know, if it, if it's not a format that I'm used to, it's it just makes an effort. And like it's more likely that I just skip over it and and I'm confused and churn. So it should it should contain the right amount of information, not too much, not too little. It should have the kind of classic structure of how 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 they're sorted. So I also know where to find certain slides. For example, when to scroll forward and backward. Uh, from the founder perspective, probably I would leverage introductions. So even if those introductions. numbers that this is i don't have statistics that's true but my feeling is the conversion likelihood goes up massively if there's some some person introduces you even if it's just there's some remote connection there it doesn't even have to be your best friend or your former colleague or something and ideally leveraging angels so i would always go to angels first because there is a natural snowball effect so if you talk to an angel that likes what you're doing and likes you uh, they will naturally make three four five six introductions while if you speak to VC, they will make absolutely no introductions because they want to keep the lead for themselves, right? And want to have sort of ideally proprietary access to you. So I would always go to angels first and then basically open the doors to the VCs that they work with. Okay. Yeah, that's great insight from the investor perspective. Make sure that pitch deck is structured properly. And then the founder perspective, leveraging angels and that snowball effect. Uh, yeah, so love that insight. Uh, so with the current stage of sell, are there any numbers, any favorite numbers or metrics that you're focused on right now? Yeah, I mean, it, on the one side, of course, it's it's recurring revenue. So ARR is still the North Star metric. We're trying to do this in a very lean way. So I think there's now newer metrics that I've read about, like ARR per employee, right? Those sort of things. I think generally we want to be very efficient, especially when, you know, with, with the markets and investors being... Mm tight you know you want to make your run, runway really, really last and even think about whether you could even go to runway right so i think like time to break even for example even that seat stage if that's in a reasonable future right i think that's that's an interesting one uh, because then also gives you power right you you have the power to just sit and wait out the the this phase where some investors just close business right um, if effectively that's what they're doing uh, and wait it out until they come back so i, I think ar uh, runway and then some sort of efficiency metric to uh, benchmark yourself against uh, other players that maybe have more funding, right? But maybe not necessarily more more ARR. Yeah. 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 No, interesting. I mean, revenue per FTE or ARR per FTE definitely you know comes and goes as far as popularity. A lot of people mentioning now, especially twenty twenty three with you know how's the profitability, cash runway, you know having you know holding the future in your hands. Uh, you know, I created another metric called the Rose metric, which actually takes all the investment employees and contractors and looks at recurring revenue generated per dollar of investment employees and contractors, you know, because FTE could mean a lot of different things. we got wage rate differences across countries and geos. And I find that actually to be a little bit more sensitive to the efficiency with an org. And yeah, I look at that with my clients, especially if you're trying to get to profitability and you think about a SaaS company, for example, most of the investment on your PNL is people and contractors. 
you know, so we need a good way to track that. And that's key yeah. as you scale, you know, especially if you have low numbers, low rep per FTE. Yeah, you've got to watch that and look at that in your forecast as you scale to make sure you you can get to break even. Yeah. And I think there's maybe another one. I think Twilio maybe used that or uh, I read a case study recently from, I think, IVP. Um, and I think I think it's called Capturable ARR or something like that. So they knew that basically a company kind of, this is the revenue they can extract for them based on other customers that they have. And I think for us, it's very similar because let's say we sell to a company that only has HR. We know for a fact that they're having payroll, right? We know that they have payroll. We know that they uh, need to procure laptops and secure them. So we know for a fact that this is revenue that's up for grabs. We just don't know yet when, when you know a renewal potentially comes up or when the opportunity comes, but we know for sure that this is revenue up for grabs eventually. So I think that's also an important one. And I think that was actually their main metric. So I think we'll also adopt something similar. Yeah, Obviously, it's going to be higher than the actual ARI, so you want to show something that's higher. So, uh, yeah, right. And that's a hard one, right? And that's, say, the account management function, customer success of looking at customer and their product, their journey yeah. through your product line. And, and yeah, maybe they're at 5,000 ARR now, but they have potential to be 50,000 ARR. Yeah, it that's can right. be a tough, tough exercise to, to figure that out, but a, a huge number to figure out. So yeah, love, love that metric. Glad you mentioned that. So Chris, really appreciate you know, the time today and sharing your experiences. A couple more questions before we wrap up. So with your product and going after people, going after HR, maybe the CFO, COO, you know, how are you landing prospects? What's your go-to-market motion right now? Yeah, I mean, we're in, we're active in multiple channels, right? So we have email and, and LinkedIn and called outbound and calling people and conferences, right? So I think at the moment, I think we have no magic, I think no magic sauce maybe. But I think we have a really good product and a very strong product proposition. So, you know, by doing all those, let's say, regular things, we do get our lead flow in. I do hope that one day we'll find the magic trick and everything triples. But so far, you know, that's, that's been giving us enough lead flow to kind of grow our five to, you know, five to 10x. And then, yeah, I think, you know, sales cycle is just, I think, trying to listen and understand people's problems and not trying to push product and just try to solve problems. Most companies have problems, but also there's always a time when to solve those. So sometimes it's just not the right time. And it's understand when to when to maybe push and when to not push. And so yeah, when to check back in and try if you can convert, you know, convert those leads. Eventually any company is up for grabs because there's just certain cycles where people will review the HR system. That's a fact. But you just gotta be there when that happens and they gotta know you gotta be front of mind. So we're doing a lot to create touch points before that happens so that you know when the time comes, we're we're part of that selection process. Yeah, yeah, really important. So Chris, yeah, I appreciate your time today as we wrap up. What's coming up next for Zelt? Yeah, so we're doing more now international work. So we're having some bigger international clients coming on that requires some configurability in the platform, adding the things that things that used to be hard coded are now like all fully configurable, you know, more complex comp reporting. We provide hardware, as I mentioned before. So we're in constantly increasing the, the the breadth of the network. So let's say you hire a contractor in Canada, right? We can we can supply their multinational payroll, global payments as well. It's becoming a real pain point to get people paid when they're based in different countries and receive currency, you know, foreign currency. Yeah, just kind of keep doing more of the same, really. So I think yeah. you know, big, just better, better, and more. And we're releasing a new uh, navigation and UI system soon. So that's also a really important one because I think there are some strong HR systems out there on like Workday, but people generally hate the user experience. So we're trying to, as we get more complex, keep the UX and the design so that people can actually understand it. And that's, that's a really big challenge. So we're always trying to you know, rethink that. And so we have 
our UI version two coming out soon. Okay, that's great. Yeah, a lot of stuff coming up, it sounds like. So yeah, Chris, really appreciate your time and, and sharing your experience today. And if listeners would like to learn more about Zelp, where should we send them online? Send me an email, send me WhatsApp. Also, I mentioned earlier, right, uh, the, the pitch deck, if you have questions, if you're raising funds, you want to know how this pitch deck should look like. I actually did a study back then. I was an investor, so I know exactly what the average, you know, Andreessen or General Catalyst funded company pitch deck looks like. Send me an email, happy to help out. And yeah, our website is zelt.app. It's pretty cool. It's pretty sleek. Check it out. And if you want to have a demo, you know, feel free to book a demo or, or reach out to me. It's ckp at zelt.app. Okay. I appreciate you sharing that. So, so if you'd like to learn more about Chris and Zelt, check out zelt, Z-E-L-T dot app to learn more. And Chris, really appreciate your time today. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Thanks.